podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger Podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. If you could meet anybody, living or dead, it's that dinner party question. Who would you like to have a bit of a natter with and, and pick their brains and see what they're like as a person? Oh, I could give you a list of a number of people. <laughs> I mean, I, like Nelson Mandela, I met him uh, not long after he came out of jail. I chatted to him at cricket in Joburg. Uh, I mean, you'd like to meet Martin Luther King. I mean, he just spoke some wonderful words about racism didn't it I mean and justice oh I could give you loads of people Uh, I'm a big fan of Alexander the Great 350 years before Christ conquered most of the known world it's a marvelous thing he's a great mind Shaka Zulu because I go to South Africa a lot and uh, I've read about Shaka Zulu in Natal South Africa he's a chief for 12 years he organized all the tribes together he changed the way they fought the way all kinds of things, I could say. The discipline, the organization, it just unified them. But really, there's only one man, Jesus Christ. Okay. Look, uh, don't misunderstand. I'm not being uh, silly. I don't know if he was the son of man. Some people believe that. But I think everybody believes he lived and was a great person. And because of his belief, he changed the world. I mean, he certainly lived, and he must have been an amazing human being with his ideas and views, mental strength and character to change people to a religion which is the biggest in the world now. You've on the whole planet. It's the biggest religion in the world. And all the other lovely religions, you know, you go through it. But that was some guy... Um, it really was. Um, yeah. if, if you're talking about people that have made their mark, <laughs> you don't make a bigger mark than that, do you? Well, that's right. And I say to people, and I genuinely mean this, when they say about me and other sportsmen, actually, I say, look, he was the only perfect man we know, and yet we crucified him. So what chance of people like me with our faults, our imperfections? We have imperfections. We have faults. We have... We just not. We we do the best we are. But are we good people? Yes. Mm. On the whole, I'm a good person. And if I think I've done something wrong, I apologize for it. But I won't apologize for something I haven't done wrong. I can tell you that. That's why I won't apologize for the French case because I know I didn't. I know I set up. I have all the stuff. But Jesus Christ, not a doubt, is the only person. They're going to make boycott the movie, Boyk's Fiery, whatever they're going to call it. Steven Spielberg's on the phone, says, Jeffrey, who's going to play you in the starring role? Who are you going to pick? Oh, I've no idea. <laughs> I haven't a clue. Why don't you ask your listeners to put somebody forward? I'm not big on movie stars and what have you. Ask them who they think would play me. Brian Clough, a young Brian Clough, if he was alive. Not at the end when he died a little bit. He was past it and... Pressure got to him and a bit of drink. He was a close friend of mine, but he would have been good. The young Brian Clough, you look at him when he went to Derby County, fresh face, 
bright as a button, clear eyes, wasn't really a drinker. Yeah, but other than that, ask your guys. There you go, listeners. At cricket underscore budget, send in who should play boycott in the movie about his life. That's a bit of homework for you all. Jeffrey, over the lockdown period, over the summer, I got bored and I was trying to amuse myself and keep myself sane. And I ran a load of different contests on Twitter looking for the greatest of all time. You came second in both the English Test Cricketer vote and also in the commentator vote. That must be quite a, a nice thing to know that people out there love what you do and, and appreciate you. Yeah, but a lot of nice uh, comments. Uh, Mr. BBC didn't use me this year, but mind you, I wouldn't have liked the bubble. Behind Richard Benno, yeah, a great respect and admiration for him. I worked with him quite a bit. His advice to me always stuck. The pictures tell a story, and most viewers watching cricket like cricket, understand it, played it at school, played club cricket, maybe even better than that. But most of them have some idea of the game. So he said to me, and I believe this, and I try to follow it, when you speak, try to say something that enhances their viewing rather than stating the obvious. I mean, everybody can say, oh, that's a good shot, that's a bad shot. Well, the viewer can see that for himself. It's not radio. The hardest thing to do is to tell them, or the cleverest thing to do, is to say what you think is going to happen, and it does happen. Mm. And then you've got to have a real feel for the game. And I hope I've been able to do that quite a lot of the time. I've experiences, knowledge, that's helpful. That's why I say that, that there's two types of commentators. There's one, the commentator that sets the scene, the John Arlott, the Brian Johnsons. And I think Jonathan Agnew is a marvellous job. Jonathan's good. But people who set the scene, the ball, blah, blah. Expert is different. Call him what you want. The guy, the girl that comes in and gives you something that's not setting the scene. And to do that, I really do think you need to have played at the top level. I mean, how do you talk about fast bowling if you've never faced 90-odd mile an hour from Marshall, Holding, Garner, Croft, Lily, Thompson? Mm. How do you talk about that? And if you want stories and incidents, then you need people who've been to, on tour to India, to Australia, to West Indies, to South Africa, and things happen. Stories happen. And so you can relate those, and that part of broadcasting, particularly radio that, sometimes you can get it in on television. If you haven't done that, as an expert, that's what expert means, doesn't it? You've actually done it. Mm. You've got the credibility. You've been there. I don't see how you can do the expert side if you haven't experienced it. You can do it. Whether you can do it good is another matter. And I'm not sure the BBC understands that. They're too busy. Um, getting rid of quality for inequality. How much have you missed it this summer, being behind the microphone? And, and how have you filled your time this summer? Have you been watching it and listening to it? Yes, I watched it all the time, loved it, yeah, enjoyed it. Oh, it's not the same. We all know that, so let's not go on about that. There's no people there. But it, the cricket has been good. I've written almost every day for the Daily Telegraph. Therefore, you'll watch it. And I work for a company called Fitzdares, high-quality betting people in London. And the CEO says, I can say whatever I like, which is a refreshing change after TMS. <laughs> I don't have any political correctness. Not mean I'd do anything silly, but no, there's no strictures. And uh, I give a report before the start of the match. And so three, four, five minutes of what I think's happened and going to happen and so forth, which is nice. So fit are happy. I just move on. I have a strong mind over matter. 
I'm not working this year. I know what the BBC are doing. You can all see it. So I don't look backwards. Just like when I finish playing, oh, playing's the best time of your life. Oh, it's the best time of your life playing cricket. Fresh air, getting paid for it, doing something you love, not like, love. I always remember then and the same now. If I never work again for BBC, is people take your place. Some won't be as good as I was. Some will be good in a different way. Some may be better. It's life. Move on. Don't look back. And I don't watch the cricket and listen to it, trying to pick spots of other commentators. Different. Everybody's different. Do their own thing. Want to get your game the very best it can be? The future of coaching. Talk to a pro. 30-minute video conversation. Video analysis from players at the top of their game. Video shout-outs. Get a personalised message from a pro. Great for birthdays, congratulations messages, a prank or a simple hello. Visit MoonriseSports.com or go to Moonrise Sports on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Moonrise Cricket. Let's play. What is the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die. What's Jeffrey Boycott got left to tick off that list? Number one. I don't have any. No? I never had any. Listen, when you get cancer, which I had of the tongue of 2002, I've been there and you're trying to stay alive and you finally make it. Jesus, I mean, every day is good and I just try and do whatever. Get forward, enjoy it, get out of bed, move on. I mean except for getting rid of a couple of people who've been terrible to me. I have no bucket list. How much did that change you, the cancer thing? So I assume when somebody sits there and tells you, Jeffrey, you've got cancer, you automatically think, Larry, that's me gone. And that changes oh, your perspective. Sentence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are people out there. No, it's the death sentence. I have people now ring me up. I have people I put them in touch with. I've made me a patron of Cancer Active. Uh, Chris Woolen's a genius. Him and Rachel got me through cancer. And uh, there's lots of... Taught me that there's lots of things you can do to help your body help itself against cancer. He's not saying don't do uh, radiotherapy. He's not saying don't do chemo. He explains to you about the body. The body has a system to kill off cancer cells. And what happens? Something goes wrong. It doesn't do its job, right? To put it simply. But your body should. And when it doesn't do its job, something's happened. Cancer takes over. And there are things, look at me, he, he got me, you wouldn't believe it, I was eating 30-some apricot kernels a day, and it has poison in it. Yeah. You go, wow. <laughs> and apparently Ronald Reagan did it when he was president. It's not legal in America, apricot kernels, so he, he passed it so it was. And then when he, he lost the president and retired or whatever, I changed it back again. But he said there's things in that, if you take too many, yes, you know, but... It does help. And there's all kinds of things. Look, I don't want to go into it, but he was brilliant. Rachel was brilliant making me do things that he told her to. And the only thing I refused to do was having a coffee enema on the floor, up your backside and that. I said, no, I ain't getting into that. You didn't fancy that. <laughs> no, I said, no, no. <laughs> I draw the line at that. <laughs> that. That looks a bit messy. Sounds not so good, that. So I said, I skip that. I'll do everything else. Yeah, he was brilliant. And there are people out there ring me now or write to me and I try and help them to him. And I've got friends, I've got family who've got cancer. And yeah, it's tough. It is tough. Look at Jonathan Agnew, 
wife for cancer of the breast. Oh, Jesus, I put her in touch with Chris Woolen for Cancer Active. She survived. She's fine. I don't say that, you know, there's a miracle cure, but he just says there are things out there to help. If you can catch it early, take certain things, it helps your body. I'm alive, and that's you've got to think, I still get mad, I still get irritated, I still get cross like everybody else at things. We're human. That's what I say, we're human. But I get over it quicker because I realize that, hey, I could have died, and many people do. I got through it. And I, one of the places I help a little bit is Martin House Hospice here in Boston Spa, where the kids go when there's no hope for them. And they have rooms for their mothers in the last few days and that, and try and help them. Well, all I say is that when my back aches through cricket, I have a bad injury I had, and when different things come along, and oh, you get cross, and we all get cross, irritated. We can't help it. So I've got cross for a minute. So I say, hang on, hang on. I've been there. I've seen these kids who are not going to have a life. Everybody should go there for an hour. I've been I, twice, and I don't want to go anymore. Yeah, I, I, I took the, some of the Yorkshire players down to Macmillan in uh, in Leeds, mm. and it is quite an eye-opener, isn't it? Uh, and you feel you feel very lucky when you come out of it, and you feel so sad oh. for the people in there. But they do a fantastic job, those hospices, don't they? They do a marvellous job, and uh, I take clothes and stuff every year. I look and see what I haven't used in my wardrobe. My wife, Rachel, does too. And listen, we haven't worn this. It's going. It's good stuff, but somebody else can have the pleasure, buy it cheap, a bit of money will go to Martin Hospice. Martin House is good, and I'm sure there are lots of others around in different areas of Yorkshire, different areas of Great Britain. I mean, it just happens to be near me, this one, but mm. you only have to go and see these kids who are not really going to have a life, and I'm t- telling you, it brings you to tears. Jeffrey, when I was working at Yorkshire, you intimidated me massively when I first met you because you're a massive name, you're a big character and, and every, everything like that. And uh, after, I'd, after I'd been there a while, I quickly understood that you, I, I think people are kind of fairly skewed opinion of you because you've got that kind of gruff Yorkshire exterior, I say what I like kind of stuff. But there's quite a soft side, a bit of an, un, uh, quite a loving underbelly, I think, to Jeffrey Boycott. I've heard Agus talk about it on TMS as well, but I don't think many people see that. How, how would you react to that? Well, my daughter says she's never been frightened of me. <laughs> she says, yeah, no, he's a pussycat. She says he's easy. I suppose daughters do. But look, uh, I think you've got to be judged on things you do. We raise money for charity. We do good things. We turn up. I think most people only see you when you they don't know you. They only see you on television or hear you on radio or just see you back. So they, they don't. Yet we all feel, you know, when you see a top sportsman, playing his particular skill, you, you get to feel, you think you know him, don't you? Mm. Because you recognize him. You recognize what he looks like, how he plays. But actually, you don't. It's what, it's what you see or hear about him. Very few people get to spend time in, uh, with somebody. Until you do, you only think you know them because you recognize them. There's a difference. You recognize them, their voice, their appearance, way they bat, but you don't actually know them, but it, it's a misnomer somehow, because sportsmen are, sportsmen are a big part of our lives, we like sport, we love sport, it's outside of work, it makes us happy most of the time, and, and so we tend to think, oh yeah, but they don't really know them, there's a difference between like what you see, like what you hear, but actually knowing somebody, so there's only a few people get close enough to know you, 
On a scale of 1 to 10, Jeffrey Boycott, with 10 being the Fonz from Happy Days, the coolest man that I've ever seen on television, how cool would you say you are? Well, I've only ever heard of the Fonz. I've never really seen him. (laughs) (laughs) I've never tried to be cool. Um, My career has been about batting. It was always emotional, passionate. I loved it, still love it, always love it. And I batted with emotion. Every time I played, it was passion because I loved it. I was lucky that I had a cool head. That's the only thing I could say. I, I could think cool even if I passionately wanted to play and I was involved in the innings I don't think cool helps me at all except as I say in the brain I mean when you're playing Lillian Thompson holding Marshall Croft that guy Croft well nastiest bowler I ever faced I'd imagine it's quite hard to stay cool when you've got somebody bowling at 90 plus miles an hour that's you can't I mean appearing cool I've seen people try to do that sorry they ain't cool (laughs) <laughs> they try to knock your block off or knock you out or get you out, one or the other. And, no, I'm too direct to be considered cool, anyhow. If you had access to a time machine, I'm going to put one in your garage, where would you drive it to? Would you go forwards, backwards? You can go to any place you want to. I'd love to have played in Douglas Jardine's team. Okay. That beat the Aussies in Australia with body line bowling, they call it. 32-33. Look. I've read all about it, and oh, beating the Australians, I mean, he's good. I mean, I've seen the old film, old film a little bit, what there is, and I'd love to have been stood at me off watching Larwood get up the noses with balls into the ribs and under the heart. I mean, within the rules, you know, it was a great concept, an idea by Douglas Jardy. So Donald Bradman was making Australia invincible. He's just making so many runs, you just couldn't win. And they had to cut him down to size if any chance of winning. And in 1930 in England, uncovered pitches, still then, Australia versus England at the Oval, there was a shower of rain, Aussie batty. They come off with uncovered pitches. It rained on the pitch. When they went back to bowl, Douglas Jardine felt he saw the ball just jump a little because it's touched with rain. And he says he thought he saw Bradman being... He used the word flinch or being a little apprehensive. He's quite a small man. I don't know whether that's true, but he said about that. And from there, when he was made captain, he thought about how the hell are we going to get Bradman out on hard, good pitches in Australia. And he worked out how to, he thought, if he could get the fastest bowler in England was Harold Larwood at not. He asked his captain, took his captain to dinner. It's all written down, asked him, did he think Harold Larwood could bowl into the ribs? What you have to remember, and most people don't realise, it was the era of the amateurs, so the 20s, 30s, they ran the game. And the correct thing and the right thing to do was to keep bowling at off stump, not to bowl at the body. It hardly ever happened. It was, what do you call it, infradig is it the word? They, they, no, no, you mustn't do that. The, the amateurs don't like that. That's That's not the game it's still within the rules and occasionally the odd person did in English cricket and there's reports of it and playing hell about it and what have you and uh, his captain at not said yeah sure Haddle could do that if you wonder so he actually went to his captain next match but Haddle Darwood to bowl normal off stump then he said listen Harold, could you just do this and that a couple of overs bowl at the ribs didn't set a leg side field just could he do it and reported back to Haddle to, that Harold could to Jardine, reported back, yeah, yeah, not a problem. And Jardine devised this idea to go to Australia, didn't tell anybody about it, 
played the first few matches bowling normal. <laughs> and then when he set a leg side field and got Lowood to bowl that, there was all hell on. But England won the Ashes and it was within the rules. And I have to remember, when it got at its height, this is the most important thing to me. Great idea to work on that, but most important thing. When it got to its height, the Aussies were going mad about it, sending telegram to the MCC that England were playing on sportsmanlike cricket, and etc. They wanted to come home. And he got all the team in and said, listen, this is what's happening. What do you want to do? Do you want us to stop and play the MCC way? Boston? Nearly all of them said no, except two. Mm. Two people. One was the manager and one was the amateur, G.O. Allen who became England captain next to her and ran MCC for years as the treasurer. Lived out just outside of the back of Lord. All the rest, Herbert Suckler from Yorkshire, all of them said, no, we want to win. So they supported him and followed him. That's, that's the real key. His idea to work it out and get the team to follow him. That's real leadership. That, that was one thing that Law had said later on in his life, wasn't it? That he, he would do it again for Mr. Jardine. He had massive respect for Douglas Jardine, didn't he? Yes. The players did. Herbert Sutcliffe yeah. was there. The great Yorkshire batsman we ever. Yeah, the players did. Yeah, the votes from Knots. They were all there. They did. And they'd play for him. I mean, Eddie Painter, the wonderful left-handed batsman from Lancashire, he was sick in bed, really ill. I forget what with. And... There were test match. One test was in the balance, probably just on the edge, better for Australia. And Lau was doing his best and everything, but Jardine knew he needed more runs. So he went that morning to the hospital to talk to Eddie. And he just said, Eddie, if you can at all bat, we need you. I'll leave it with you. He went to the team. Eddie came out, made 70-odd runs. Really sick he was. They just followed him. It was tonsillitis, I think, Jeffrey, wasn't it? Tonsillitis, he was in hospital and they they came calling for him. He wasn't well and feeling really grotty and he just asked him if he could. Didn't insist, just asked if it's all possible. He came and made 70-odd fantastic runs. Yeah, I'd love to have been there. I mean, it's great, you know. I mean, it's a wonderful country and, and a lot of the people are really nice to you, but some of them just hate you. It's like Man United and Leeds. We go to your place, you just hate us because we have red shirts. <laughs> yeah. You're just terrible to us. I don't mind you shouting, but just, and, and they're terrible to English. Oh, I'll call you all sorts of names. Mm. But they're not all like that. That's the nice thing. But there is a, oh, by some people, a deep resentment. If you could live anywhere in the world, and you've been lucky enough to have travelled all over the place with your cricket and what have you, if I could give you a second home somewhere, where would it be? Probably where I've got one now, Cape Town. It's a great place, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I love the people, the winters. You see, for us, I mean, English summers, look, we play all about the rain sometimes, but our summers are lovely. I mean, they're not perfect, but they're lovely. They're rarely only an odd day is it too hot. Lots of things you can do. So our winters are dreadful. November, December, Jan, Feb are awful, aren't they? Four months there, I mean, except for Christmas, that's the only thing to look forward to. The rest is bloody rubbish. Mm. Um, Cape Town is beautiful. Dry, dry heat. My wife likes it. Most women I know do because it's not humid. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't let your hair fall out, you know. It's just dry and hot. And it's lovely. And I always say to people, UK is a great country, great people. 
oh, yeah, we have problems. We're not perfect. But, hey, <laughs> I've travelled a lot, and let me tell you, we are a lot better than most people. And uh, we've got freedom of the press. Yes, I know sometimes they do bad things, but they do a lot of good things. We've got democracy. We've got wonderful doctors and nurses. Our police are fantastic. I mean, they're being criticised now about race. It's ridiculous. I mean, you want to go to some of these other countries, you hear about America. Our police are fantastic. We, we've got a lot to be thankful for, even if it's not perfect. And I say that, but I don't know anything that is utopia. You're never going to get that because we, the people that run everything, the human beings, we are not perfect. That's the point. So whatever you have, but we're a good place. It's just the winters. There's a few months there. When, and Cape Town's so beautiful. Wherever you go in the city, you see this table mountain above you. It's gorgeous. The city so, sits under the lee. Yeah. And it's just lovely. The time I went there, we got into this hotel. It was, it was dark when I got there. And I opened the curtains in the morning. It was framed beautifully. My window, Table Mountain, was there, and I just thought, wow, I'm here. Incredible place. It's gorgeous. And, and the water is everywhere, and we go around the peninsula. The, the, the people speak English. They drive on the same side as us, the left-hand side. They all speak English. Everybody speaks English. It is English. It's the language. Yes, they, they, uh, certain people have, uh, you know, historical language, but no, English is the main language. Left-hand side, the television, the radio is in English. Yes, there are certain stations that give you various dialects, um, but it's English, and it's just easy, and it's much cheaper than here. Uh, yeah, I'd noticed that as well. That's, that's always a good thing. Much cheaper. So you want a holiday, all of you go there. Just go to Cape Town, not Joburg. That's the crime capital. Go to Cape Town. If you could change one thing about yourself, Jeffrey Boycott, what would you change? I hope somebody could teach me how to be a much better people person. Uh, I don't want to be a diplomat. That, that's no good. That's, that, that's no good. I don't believe in that. That's Codswallop. But a softer understanding more. I am, as I said, I'm frank, I'm forthright, I'm honest, I'm straightforward. And, and I've prided myself on that because that's how my mother brought me up. At the time, tell the truth. You know, it was a thing. And people often say they like you to tell the truth. But when you say something they don't like, then they're hurt and <laughs> they become anti you. Ed Murrow was the great CBS news reporter in the war mm. in England, giving reports on the war and how it was for Londoners and British people. And our character was strong and giving it back to America. And he became huge on the. CBS. And he said, tell the truth and fear no man. That's where that phrase comes from. Tell the truth and fear no man. We used to believe in that in England. We really did. But you can't. Now you can't, you know, tell the truth. It's gone. It's gone forever. It used to be so acceptable and seen as a good thing to be truthful. But now we've got so much political correctness and about race, about gender, it's a minefield. And it would have helped me in my life. I mean, I see people for me who say things in humor, maybe it's a speech or something, and it's taken out of context and, oh, it's terrible. And now people talk in whispers. We talk, look at people, about so many people coming into cricket, but nobody dares say anything publicly. No, nobody says so. It's whispering now, and I think 
People are getting frightened. If you say the wrong thing, you could lose your job. I think that's really sad, and it's 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 not a way of life that I like. It's not a way of life I think that's good for us. It's gone too far now. This political correctness, quality. We're a great nation. We don't have racism like some countries, like America. Nothing I can do about it. Obviously, Azim Rafiq was a guest of mine on the Cricket Badger podcast just a, a, a few weeks ago, and. He's made allegations against Yorkshire County Cricket Club, a club very dear to both of our hearts. What's your reaction to that and what Azim's come out and said? Well, I, don't, I haven't been connected with the club. Look, I served everything. I've done everything but gate. I served on the board about seven, eight years. I've done on the committee in the early 90s, but then as a presidency. But since 2013, my last year as president, I haven't had anything to do with the club. I tried to get back on the board and, uh, and help them. I thought I had a lot of cricket knowledge to offer them. But uh, Robin Smith and Steve Dennison and the chief exec didn't want me to put out that terrible letter asking the members not to vote for me. So I've not got involved, kept away. Uh, so I don't know. I hope they do a, a fair job. I hope they look into it fairly. Uh, it's obviously odd that our chairman used to work at the firm that they put in charge. That's, you know, I'm not sure that's a good idea, but we'll have to wait and see if they can do an honest job. Rafik, I never knew any racism when I was there. I've never had any racism in cricket. I played 25 years for Yorkshire in England and I did 30 years commentating. Maybe I've lived a, I don't know, a narrow existence. But in my form, I've commentated with all sorts of people, played against all sorts of people. I haven't, I haven't come across it. I, I hope, I hope, I hope our club comes out all right, that's all. But Rafik, I've known since he was a young kid. Steve Oldham showed me to him when I was on the board. Mm. And I thought, look, he's fine with me. I spoke to him 10 days ago. I said, are you all right? And what have you? Because I've always had a bit of time for him. When I saw him as a kid, he looked talented. And when I saw him captain Yorkshire in the 2020, I thought he was fantastic. I think he's the best young captain I have seen since Michael Vaughan got the England captain. Captain C is it's a gift. You can't make people captain. You've got to have that feel, that intuition for doing things, changing the bowling, field placings. And I watched him when he, I think it was Gillespie, made him captain. I thought it was fantastic. And then, as I say, I haven't been connected with the club. I don't know what happened. I really don't. Obviously, Yorkshire got the uh, independent investigation into that that Azim will be involved in. And uh, yeah, Well, the word is, the word you use there yeah. is... The question is, is it going to be independent? Well, the temptation yeah. on these kind of things, Jeffrey, is to kind of cover up and try and protect the, the people involved, isn't it? And that's, that's, that's not what you cricket... You don't want to be protecting anybody. That's not what cricket Yorkshire needs, is cricket, it? I, I did a Twitter the other day, right, to put it on for us. Don't put this on. I said, listen, if you read Shakespeare, the great bard, in the play Julius Caesar, Caesar's wife should be not only above reproach, but be seen to be above reproach. Yeah. And that would be me if I was on the ball with Yorkshire Cricket. Say, hey, I want this to be clear. I hope to God we come out of this Yorkshire Cricket that we find that we're not racist in our county, in our county club. But this has to be done and seem to be done totally independently that nobody can come back and say it's a farce. That's what I would have said. Um, I would have given it to people who have no connection with Yorkshire in any way, no connection with anybody on the board, so that then you can say, this is totally independent. This is not a whitewash. Can I say that? 
Yep. That's not racism, is it? No. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a word that Jews like to say, we don't want you trying to sweep this under the carpet. So you just cross our fingers, hope we come out all right. But at the same time, it has to be thoroughly investigated by independent is the word, and that's the worry. I mean, we're two white guys talking about this that, that love Yorkshire County Cricket Club, but the yeah, there is racism in our society. Um, we know that. That's But that's, hey, hey, hang on, though. Yes, I can't say that there are, but I've not come across it. A, I've not come across it, and B, let's not judge UK like America. We're a much better than different society on that subject than America. Things are happening in America that we we abhor, we think are dreadful. Our police don't go shooting people like America. They don't have guns to shoot people. I think you ought to be careful that judging us in our society is much different, much better. Most of the people I come in contact with I've not seen or heard of racism I'm not saying it isn't there it's not happened in my company I've got two more questions for you Jeffrey Boycott and I really appreciate your time today it's been great to uh, chat to you on the Cricket Badger podcast the penultimate question I've always looked at you I mean there's this very natural cricketers and there are cricketers that have to really work to rinse everything out of their game I'd put you in the second category high standards hard work and everything could you have got anything more out of your career yes definitely not accepted the captaincy of Yorkshire and not sought the captaincy of England. Trying to do the best job I could for Yorkshire cricket took too much of my energy. It mentally just wore me down with the committee believing that they had a divine right to be county champions. Nobody has a divine right for anything. And we've had eras in our history when we've been fantastic. We've, the players have come together, great players, and we've won. We've had other periods where, yeah, well, the counties have won. And that, it's supposed to be like that. Some of the ex-players and people thought that it would go on forever, that Yorkshire would be the best like we had been under Vic Wills and Brian Close. We won a number of championships, two Gillette Cups, and the quality of player coming through wasn't overseas players, two per county we had in, in the other counties, Clive Lloyds and the Hadleys, Wayne Daniels, Joel Garner, Viv Richards, and we couldn't compete, but Oh, that wore me down, and if I could have, wish I'd never done that. And I allowed, uh, to be a factor, Mike Dineska in the captaincy of England, and he wasn't good with me, and I opted out of playing for England three years. You know, that's a lot of test matches, a lot of test runs I would have got. And I think I wish I hadn't gone to Australia in 78, 79. When Yorkshire sacked me as captain in 78, then my mother died, and oh, it was a dreadful frame of mind I was in dreadful time I I wasn't in the right frame of mind I didn't play very well I didn't enjoy it and most of my life I've actually enjoyed cricket I've loved it I tell every kid whenever I teach him or talk to him whatever you do enjoy it enjoy it there's no playing cricket and it being a pain in the backside you've got to enjoy it and I didn't so there are three things there I mean I wasn't smart enough to turn the captaincy down. Uh, Herbert Sutcliffe was offered the captaincy, you know, and he did turn it down. He was a professional in amateur era, and he was smart enough to realise that in an amateur era, he turned it down, Herbert. He was clever. And Len Hutton was made captain of England, the first professional. He just had five test matches to turn up and went back to Yorkshire, sat in a corner, just battered. He wasn't captain of Yorkshire. And so it was a much easier time. And... uh, I wish I could have done like both of them. and mm. uh, I didn't. I wasn't smart enough to, my fault, I live with it. Question number 20. We've got there. 
if you've been picking these questions, Jeffrey, if you've been me interviewing you today, what would you have asked yourself? What question would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? It's basically tell me a secret about Jeffrey Boycott. Uh, biggest regret. Okay. Biggest regret. I should have married our Rachel earlier and <laughs> had three daughters. Two more, like my Emma Jane. She's been an absolute delight. I didn't ask for children. I was too busy playing cricket, too busy making runs. My fault. Nobody else's. I chose that. But looking back, she's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, she's just just a proper girl in every way. And, yeah, who, my fault. Who wears the trousers in yours and Rachel's relationship? Is she, is she the boss or you? No, nah, no, nah, she only thinks she is. <laughs> 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 I, I, I know when I phoned you this morning, you were you're on your own at the moment. She's away at the moment. I, I, mm. I, 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 I I'm in charge. Yeah, yeah. She's going to help the daughters. She has a fantastic three-storied wedding dress shop called Maria Modes in Macclesfield, and uh, and then they have a youngster who's Joshua. The end of this month is one, so um, you're going to see him and help the daughter. I think they were buying uh, wedding dresses in Liverpool yesterday, and they go to these fairs sometimes. You know, the way you buy dresses. She has so many designers and you, you've got to buy so many dresses and a year off them and they make sure they don't have anybody selling their dresses within 25, 30 miles. So it's a quid pro quo. And uh, one was in Liverpool, so she's going to help her with that. She loves that. And dressing the windows and it's a girl thing, isn't it? Wedding <laughs> dresses. And then seeing the youngster. Yeah. You, you didn't fancy that trip buying wedding dresses then? No, did I? Al? What are <laughs> I doing bloody wedding dresses? A girl thing. They love it, dressing up and trying them on, don't they? Oh, yeah, they love it. I hear all the stories that tell me about it. I own the damn building. I'm her boss. <laughs> you have to pay me rent. I sit, every month when I get paid, I, I think myself lucky. So when, when Rachel comes home later, um, when she gets back, are you going to have to tidy up quickly before she gets back to stay out of trouble? No, or? no. I'm, I'm quite tidy. I'm pretty tight, except for my papers. I have them in parcels because things like yours. I got your questions. I don't want one side waiting for you. I had something else and that parcel. And then every now and again, she'll tell me to clear up these parcels. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I'm tidy with my clothes and everything, yeah. Jeffrey Boycott, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Cricket Badger podcast today. Wish you all the best and uh, thank you very much for joining me. Okay, thank you. Podcast Network.